Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. The Talent Tank back in session. Man, we are chasing the chasing the sunset at this point on the spring season. We're uh, we're closing in on uh, the last couple episodes, and uh, this this is a guy that I've wanted on basically ever since uh, episode number one. I mean, you've got to you've got to get the kings on, and nothing better than having a uh, three time and current king Randy Slauson sitting in front of you and uh, and discussing everything about who Randy Slauson is and what Ultra Four means to him and how many cars he's built and all that, Randy. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Excellent. I'm glad to be here. Well, it did take us a while to get this going, right? Um, between silly chords and my technical ineptitude, I think it took us two hours. It wasn't even that it was the computers we had trouble with, even our phones. Like I wasn't even able to get a good phone connection with you just to call you. So that was, that was frustrating. It felt like there was solar flares or something effing with us. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time. You know, we had talked... When did we talk? We talked right after KOH, you know, maybe sometime in you know late February about coming on and uh, I sent you a case and then we didn't quite flange up and you did a, you did another podcast, which was awesome for uh, uh, the wheeling wine and whiskey guys, Chris and uh, Jason. what do you think of yeah. that experience? Good experience. That was super fun. You know, they get a little different program than what we're doing now. They both came over to the shop and brought booze and we just sat around and wrapped for a couple hours. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I find I find those guys to be fun as can be. And I was at a Ford dealership and you called me and you kind of like you led with like apologizing for doing this their show and what we had going on. I was like, whoa, whoa, no way, man. Randy. Right. You are current king. You need to take every opportunity. It's just not you. I mean, every racer, in my opinion, needs to take every opportunity they can to get their message out to the media. Or be that for you promoting bomber fab and you promoting the stuff that you, uh, your, your products to, uh, you know, promoting BFG and to promoting just King shocks and what you do. Yeah. You were apologizing. And I was like, no, are you kidding me? I think it's awesome. And plus that said, I also really like Chris and Jason. I mean, their, their show wheeling wine and whiskey, they do a good job and they somehow may, they crank it out every week. I can't keep up with their pace. Right. Yeah, it was a really good time. So here we are, you know, your episode uh, is going to come out here, you know, Memorial Day week. Um, so we're recording before that, but you just, uh, you just came back from quite an adventure. You, uh, you co-drove down in San Felipe, Yep. the El Rey de los Bajas. I'm, I still don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? I don't, I can't even say the words, let alone know their meaning. <laughs> it, and then you hauled a 4,800 car down there that you built that's yours. So you're, you've got an EMC car, right? So how, how was that adventure? Well, the, we raced to the race. Like I am famous for, we started building on that car. We started back building on that car. I should say like two weeks before we went to Mexico and we were, you know, welding it out and finishing body panels and building the exhaust and, you know, mountain bits and pieces and getting the plumbing together and literally had the thing, a completely empty chassis laying on its side, welding the bottom of it a week before we were leaving. And somehow we managed to pull it together. And I put it in a trailer here and drove down to Southern Cal to CBM 
and they got it running for me. It hadn't run when we left to go to the race. And then, you know, we figured out that it had some plugged injectors and it had some crossed wires and this and that and got it fired up and put it on the dyno and it put 410 to the wheels. And we pulled it off the dyno and put it in the trailer and went to Mexico. It had never been in the dirt before we got down there. You set yourself up, huh? Oh, yeah, <laughs> always. Just to have it there and have it run. And we were able to do a little bit of shock tuning with King and then set the pole in EMC, you know, the fastest time by a few seconds was pretty fun. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, we all know that you started, uh, you had a new employee start that week leading into San Felipe uh, with Amber Turner. How's, how's right. that gone so far? She's a couple weeks in with you. What do you think? I love her attitude. She just wants to do it all, see it all, learn it all, you know, shows up and works hard. So, so far it's been really fun. Yeah. That was my take on her since I didn't know her before I interviewed her. She made me, you renewed my, uh, my belief that there are still good humans out there right? Good people out there, right. you know, so it ter- turns out yep. so often you and you and I've had this conversation a decade ago about bad people and people we dislike because they're bad people. <laughs> and, right. and and we could go, we'll go there d- down the road, but, uh, just the, some of the stuff that she was saying, I was like, wow, I, I love, I do. I love your, your outlook on life. And so no, it was awesome to have her on. This isn't the Amber show. We had her a few weeks ago, but it was awesome to hear that she started with you and she helped you, uh, get the 4,800 down to San Felipe. You did, you put it on the pole and then, uh, walk through, uh, walk through that race. What was the outcome? How did, how did it work out for you? Well, it didn't go as we planned, which you'd imagine it rarely goes to plan. So put that out there, but we got less than a lap in and the thing was overheating and we ended up having, um, a burn up calm cable from the S pod controller to the, to the main brain. And we knew that, um, we'd had problems with that in previous cars and, we didn't have time to get a high temp cable for it. It was a cat five cable that it's fairly hard to find that stuff in um, high temp. So we had problems with that. And then we had to jumper the fans. And so we fixed that at the end of lap one and the car was cool and great again. And we went back out, but the pressure relief valve I've been using push lock for the dash six back to the reservoir off the external pressure relief for the power steering. Okay. And the hose that we used I don't know if it didn't jive with the push lock or what, but it got warm and popped off and end up um, spraying a bunch of fluid down in the, in the middle of the car. Fortunately it didn't spark up and we didn't have a fire was the biggest thing I was happy about with that scenario. But yeah, I just, you know how it is. There's always some silly little thing, 50 cent part, you know, needed a hose clamp type of scenario that'll take you out. And it's always good to have some test tune time on them before you decide to go and race them. So lesson again <laughs> so what's the genesis behind and believe me you're you having you on as subject matter expert because you were build and race combined so you know your car is absolutely inside and out uh so i definitely am going to pick your brain on that stuff but on the 4800 itself that you you've had you're typically not a series racer right we see you at koh and i absolutely fully get that you know i think a lot of people do it's like you've got so many bullets in the chamber and as a small business owner that's building race cars, you pick and choose and you know where you're good at, right? You've, you've, right. you've won it three times. What was the, de- the decision two weeks before? Uh, what was the catalyst two weeks before to say, you know what, let's get that car together. Let's have an EMC car. Is it the intent that you're going to run that at KOH uh, this coming year? So the catalyst 
to us deciding to try to finish that car and go race it was um, Chris Wicks. Justin Wicks has been riding with his dad. His dad gave him the opportunity to choose one race for this season to drive. So he chose the Mexico race. He thought that would be a fun one. And his dad told me that he couldn't ride with him, wouldn't ride with him. He needed to find a co-dog. And so I said, you know what? If you guys can't find anybody, I'd, I'd be down. That sounds like a good time. I rode with Justin the first day he drove the car. His dad brought it over here to the house, and we ran around out in the back, 40 in the BLM land by my place. And the kid's very respectful. You know, he's not like typical kids these days. And he's a mountain bike racer and a dirt bike rider and just got a really good feel for the equipment. And he's not going to push it until he understands what it's capable of. And just gave me a really good feeling. You know, he, he operates like I do. So yeah, you're a dirt bike racer too. I know you, you definitely pre, you pre run on a bike and you read terrain really well. Do you see the similarities in Justin Wicks as yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. He's a, He's a very talented kid. So we ended up deciding we're going to go down there and Chris talked to me about it and then left. And I told Adam that we were going to go down there and um, support those guys and co-dog with them and whatnot. And then we're working on that 48 car and we're like, I wonder. And he's like, let's try. So I'm not going to push a guy like Adam, you know, to do something that he doesn't want to do. But when he wanted to do it, it's fun for me to take on a challenge that, you know, I've got my haters that are like, you can't finish that car. And I'm like, watch this, you know, and we got it done. You know, it didn't, we didn't get the finish that we wanted, but we started the race. That's right. You you went to Mexico and you took the green and, uh, and then you'll figure it out. So that car is, is your plan for KOH to kind of be like, uh, some of the other drivers that we've seen enter earlier races in the week so that they get that extra pre-run time, that extra look at the course. There's no pre-running like racing. So fully agree. Absolutely want to run it in the EMC. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. If I'll, if I'll run the EMC myself, if I'll have my brother run a lap. Um, when we did it in 16, I had a little V6 powered 4,800 car. He ran lap one and I ran lap two and he was my co-dog for the 4,400 race as well. So we, between the two of us seen all the, all the track. This is a good point to bring up. Yeah. So you bring up your brother, your brother, Mike. Also has raced as well has been with you off and on kind of throughout, to be honest, let's go back to the, the genesis of, I met you and Mike the same time in person. Like I knew who you were, but 2009 Vegas Torino, what was team unite? Was that what we were called? Unite? Yeah. Is unite team unite? I feel like I met you next to back door, possibly the year before entirely um, possible. King of the hammers. Did you come to King of the hammers? 2008 or 2009, 2009. 2009. Well, yeah. 2009. We would have, we would have met entirely possible 2009. It was, uh, that was our first time out there. And then that would have been February. And then August that year was that Vegas three. so my question is meeting you next to back door. You had the maroon triple nickel car with the, was it, it was the flames on the fives, right? Yep. Yep. It's kind of like that or wings or something. Yeah. I, I remember. Th- I always kind of thought it was the, the, the memorable conversation I had with you was it was KOH 2010 and it was kind of near where the old start finish was. And I don't remember the exact details, but I remember rolling up. I was in that crawler 
and see you. And since I just done Vegas Torino with you, you know, five, six months earlier, I remember yelling at you come over, you're wearing car hearts, you're a pretty chill dude. And I got along with you and I'd always, I'd already heard, you know, me people saying like, they don't get along with Randy. And I'm like, how do you not get along with Randy? I love Randy. Like hmm. we, we jived on Vegas Torino and it's funny. We're sitting there. We're kind of BSing. And this, uh, this guy walks by, he's a hundred feet away and I point out who it is. And, and you looked at me and we both had this look like that guy's such a douchebag. <laughs> and we just, it was like, I knew like you were my people. Like I could bond with you and have that conversation, like of people that, you know, aren't good humans. Uh, but you know, they're, they're in our same genre, so you're not going to discount them. But I really, I bonded with you over that. So over the years, people say, oh man, Randy. Randy's not approachable. Randy's an asshole or Randy's whatever. And I'm like, is he? I don't think so. I think you're quiet. I'm misunderstood. I believe I think I, so. I'm, I'm definitely not a bad guy. I have my, my ways of doing things. And uh, a lot of people don't understand that. But if you come up to me with a question or a, you know, whatever, we're going to share a beer and talk about racing and go crawl some rocks. And I love, love rock crawling more than, just about anything. So I I think I'm plenty approachable. I feel like I'm misunderstood because, you know, I'm in the shop all day, every day. I'm under the welding hood. I'm working on my car. And then when I get out in public, I'm, I come off. People assume cocky when it's actually, I'm just reserved and I'm a little bit, you know, shy and, and kind of in my own little world still. So I know for whatever Randy, you, you know, yourself, I think, you know, yourself better than anyone else. And that's exactly from what I know about you. I think that's exactly it. And that's the words I've heard, you know, when people have asked me like, Hey, when are you going to have Randy on the show? And the exact words, like they want to know about you because you aren't really a well-known, I mean, you're well-known, but not, people don't know all the, the background on you. You know, they, right. they know a little bit of stuff. They, you know, glints and glimmers and, uh, and now you're, you know, three time King and like, what's his real story. And I'm like, no, we're going to talk. I'm not scared of Randy. I, I like Randy. I like Randy a lot. So we're good. No, we're, we're good. So, uh, so Mike, so your brother, Mike, I met him Vegas Torino with you and, right. uh, and you guys were racing the car that you won your first KOH with, it was the OG bomber that Ben Napier had just purchased from you. And we teamed up on that car. I remember before the race talking to you on the phone about, we were trying to kind of put together a, a parts list of common parts between the three cars that we were campaigning in that event. And you just basically laughed at me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> there's nothing common like that car doesn't share any commonality with anybody else <laughs> like it's like it's this the, all these different things and and you made your conglomeration of parts work and it put right. it put that car in the box in 2009 and then Napier ends up with it we race it Vegas Torino and then Mike himself Mike what year did Mike race KOH in 4400 he got a car like maybe 14 or 15 it was after that. I think it was 17 or maybe 18. I think it was 18 that he raced that car. That was actually the car that I built and won in in 13. And then it went back east to Tim Cameron and kind of made the the rounds back there. And then it came back out west and I helped him remotor it and rebuild it and try to get it dialed in. Oh, that's a great story. I remember seeing Tim Cameron. He knew. So this was Kentucky. Oh man, I'm going to say 2015 ultra four. It was, 
gosh, I, I, I mean, I, I can't remember all the details of this race, but he, they knew Cole Shirley was his co-driver and they knew they needed to be in the top. I think it was like top 11. We're going to get KOH spots. And so right. he monster trucks, a rock pile, like some Ron, like Ron Prindle did at NorCal recently, like just doesn't even check up for the rocks and just moss. I mean, just airborne looks like uh Kurt Leduc oh, sailing through the air, just sails that car. Yeah. And then the pictures of it are your bomber. It had white panels on it. And it's like, it's a solid 20 feet in the air, solid right. 20 feet in the air. And he lands it. And, and yeah, they, they got the, they got a KOH spot conveyed to him, but I, that's a, that's a cool circle back story that that car came after Tim stopped racing. I forgot who was, who was funding their ultra four efforts or somebody that was putting a bunch of money behind them. A dude by the name of rich. I don't remember his last name at the moment, but I went out and did a rock bouncer event. Um, it was right after February King of the hammers when I won in that car and I linked up with Cole Shirley. I knew him a little bit and gave him a, a ride around the park in that car. And then he's like, you got to give Timmy a ride in this car. So I gave Tim a ride. And then shortly thereafter, we broke a rear axle shaft in it and didn't really get to play with it anymore that trip. But out in Arkansas at the Superlift Park, that's probably the furthest south there I've been. But those were the guys that tried to build what we talk about an IFS bomber. Is that, that the tangent we're on where? Yeah, that that transpired. Um, they bought the bomber and they were going to get some seat time. And then they wanted me to do an independent car. And we had a pretty cool parts list compiled and we we're getting things going and ended up getting the second armada independent front end from those guys at armada engineering the second one to the red dragon and started building that chassis and then we ran into timeline problems and money problems and the guy's like i just want out of the thing and so ended up robbie gordon sent todd romano the tonka trophy truck driver to me yep park city utah yep i ended up selling that car partially finished to todd and he he's had it three different shops or four different shops i think it's running and driving at this point i haven't seen it out actually racing anywhere but yeah i haven't seen it race either but i think he's had it in mexico a couple times to pre-run with it i have definitely seen it out driving but yeah i don't know i mean Todd's a, a wealthy guy, lives in Park City. He's, you know, kind of neighbors over there with, uh, you know, our own Paul Horschel. I haven't seen that they've interacted. It would be cool. You know, Todd Romano's an interesting character. He, I know you're a, a dirt bike guy, a two-wheel guy. When they did the one of the King of the Hammers motos, King of the Motos, Todd and another dude did motos in electric bicycles. Oh, shoot. Yeah. I it, didn't know that. And they finished. Like, right. And they finished pretty well, actually. It was, it, it wasn't bad. Uh, you if know, it gets really ugly, you just carry your bike over it. That That's kind of, I think, the, what their uh, modus operandi was on that. Uh, I found it interesting. Um, they're good dudes, but it was cool to see you did that, I, that independent car, the chassis and everything, and then it left, and then it just went into hibernation for years. Like right three four years five years and then it pops up kind of back in utah anyway and then um and i heard about it from brian gillespie he's a he's a utah guy now and and he hangs out with todd i think they whitewater raft or something together but uh that was i started seeing pictures of that thing being driven i think it got finished out in vegas i can't remember who though which i know it went to vegas first i believe jt stevens does that sound right mexican dude that races a class one car. Oh no. TJ Flores. There we go. 
that's the right name. Yeah. JT Stevens is who bought the, uh, Dave Cole's original IFS car that Kirby built that we raced in 09 that Ridgeway caught on fire. Right. J- and JT, I think JT's a Missouri guy, but well, I don't know what happened to JT. He has, he's been out of the, the race cir- circle for probably easily four years. And I, I don't know what ever happened to that Kirby car either. That was, uh, kind of a revolutionary car for our sport. Yeah. Definitely at the time it was the big old IFS class one looking monster. Yeah. Right. So we kind of went down the path. So where, where we're at today, here you are, you're, you're in Gardnerville, uh, Gardnerville, Nevada, where you've got your bomber fab, you know, your shop set up, your sole proprietor, you've got a couple employees and you guys are cranking out cars, but you're not a Nevada guy. You're actually from California, right? Born and raised. I'm not from California. I'm born and raised in Oregon. That's in my part of the world. That's roughly the same place. No, No, give me a hard time. I really have no idea where you're from. You'd think you you would know. Like, uh, I mean, um, I think a lot of people probably do know. I've always known you just as a California guy. And then I even sent out like a questionnaire, like to get, make sure I get some of the background informations and facts. And let me, let me look at yours. It actually tells the timestamp of like how much time yours was. uh, You'd open the app for 14 minutes and six seconds. And most of the answers are one if not two Lord. words, maybe three words. <laughs> and so I read it. I just laugh. And so, yeah, I'm going to get some stuff Lots wrong about details. you because I've assumed. Yeah. So I was born in Grants Pass, Oregon. Okay. And I, my parents moved to Tillamook, Oregon, which is where the cheese comes from. Okay. Um, when I was about three years old. And then I lived in a couple different houses in Tillamook till I got married, which was 24. I was out for, you know, college a couple years, but. Uh, mostly just wheeling around, you know, Tillamook burn and all the logging roads, riding dirt bikes, beating on an old Ford Bronco that I had in college, in high school. And then right after high school, I bought a 95 YJ from the wrecking yard in Portland and scabbed it back together and beat on that thing. And I'd drive it from Tillamook down to the Rubicon and wheel Rubicon and different places, get my rock crawling fix when I was young. How close is Tillamook to or even Grants Pass in D- DSI Dave Schneider from like a little small town in that area too. I don't know if Dave and I crossed paths while he was in Washington State and I was in Oregon. I don't know if we crossed paths until we were down in California, or I was already down in California and he would come down. I remember for sure meeting him at some of the real early Cal Rocks events. Lions Pride in Johnson Valley was about oh one, maybe oh two. Um, there was a event, I believe it was after that, the, I don't remember what they called it, but it was at Rox. Sorry. I'm, I, I was thinking he was right there near Tillamook. No, it, he was Montesano, Washington. So in my head, you know, I, like I said, I we were totally both missed. mud Toyota guys, you know, we wanted to be rock crawlers, but we just had mud and snow. So we both definitely came from the same era up there, but I don't think I ever crossed paths with him there. No, you got married at 24 Krista. Yes. How do you meet her? So a friend of mine, I went to Walla Walla to a um, community college, took auto mechanics. I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew I liked cars. So I wanted to learn more about it. And I was driving my Jeep YJ and I saw this sweet Toyota 4Runner and I started talking to the guy and we became fast friends and later roommates and all kinds of stuff and did tons of wheeling and camping and stuff together. But Levi was from Wenatchee and my wife was from Wenatchee and he introduced me to my wife basically 
we ended up taking her out wheeling and that was it. Yeah, she was wh- hooked by the Jeep. The, she, she, that's how you got, that's how you land, landed her, you know, Walla Walla. That's the, the town's so nice. They named it twice. That's it. I, had a, I had a college professor and that's what he said, man, the Wenatchee area is gorgeous, man. I've been up there and then the like Leavenworth, I've gone to some conferences in Wenatchee a few times. That's a pretty part of the world. The last time I was there though, it was kind of a uh, smoke bound because there was so many, there've been so many forest fires in that area. Fires. Yeah. Yeah. That's suboptimal. And then, so you guys was, you know, we'll, we'll go off on the, the, the side of like you growing up. I think you were, are you seventh day Adventist? Yeah. And, and is, is Chris, I think Chris is too, right? Correct. And so that, that equals, I can see how, so that's a commonality, right? You guys have, you know, grew up very similarly and, uh, right. Kind of the birds of a feather flock together. That's how that goes. <laughs> so Walla Walla, if you're, if you follow seven, the Adventist Walla Walla is a hot spot. Okay. And then we went straight from Walla Walla to Loma Linda, which is another big hot spot. And she took surgical tech and then nursing in at Walla Walla or at Loma Linda University Medical Center in the Inland Empire in Southern California. And, so, and all I knew getting married and moving down there was that's where Johnson Valley was. So I was excited. That's where the Johnson Valley is. Oh, man. So, uh, so Krista, I have a lot of respect for her at, just at the very moment. Uh, because our two hour, two and a half hour session of trying to figure out why we couldn't get things to work and the microphone to work. And it ended up being the cable and the kit that I sent. It's been, well, it's made it around the world enough times enough other guys have beat on it. You just ended up with a cable that was loose and didn't quite want to engage well. And so Krista solves what you and I couldn't figure out. So I'm bound down to her. Like she's, she's a hero in my book at, at, at this moment, but, uh, you recently built her a car. Right. Talk about that. Cause it's sexy. It's a good looking car. I appreciate that. I'm pretty stoked on it. So before that in 2017, I took the legends car to King of the hammers and we had um, problems during the EMC race and, and parked it. And, you know, in my mind, we're just getting ready for 4,400 the next day. And some of the crew talked my wife into entering it in the 4,400 race. So she ran around and Brian Maloney had won the backdoor shootout and had a spot. So he drove lap one and then she drove lap two and lap three. And then they finished and she beat me. She got 21st and I got 50th or something. I think I was the last finisher of the day, but we had, you know, a ton of problems, obviously. But anyway, so. So she beat you. She has beat you. This is on yeah, record. Yeah. This is solid. Good for her. First and only race she's ever raced. She beat me. So she's got that going for her. But she's been wheeling with me, you know, since the Walla Walla days. And, you know, we spend a ton of time down in Southern California riding dirt bikes together. And she's quite the little athlete in her own right. She really understands, you know, the dynamics and, you know, she can really read terrain and, and drive over stuff. I remember early on in Johnson Valley, we were running my old Leaf Spring XO cage poop pipe Toyota truck, and she was driving it up wrecking ball. And I remember John James in the background of our video, uh, probably the only reason I remember it, just saying, she gets it. She's fearless. You know, <laughs> that's the toy John James from pirate days from, you know, 20 something years ago. But it only dates us a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. We're, we're definitely getting older. But yeah, so the the trail buggy, I decided that, 
you know, I had so much fun with the one I built myself and it's been two years now. I was like, I don't want to fight over who gets to drive. We just need another car. So one of the, I guess the first batch of kits that I got, I started putting it together and just kind of more or less cloning the, the one that I've been wheeling was just kind of an abortion, a bunch of bits and pieces that I'd had laying around that I modified and put together as cheap as I could. But hers, you know, just started with a nice new fresh kit and all new bits and pieces and, you know, just really built her a nice car. And then for me personally, I don't want side panels. I don't want glitzy stuff. You know, I, I want to take it out and just torture it, beat it to death and roll it over and laugh about it and, and roll it back on its wheels and keep going. But she wanted the side panels. So once we got that in my head, you know, then it's, well, what color are we going to paint it? And then, you know, it ended up being the candy red powder coat and somewhere in the middle there, I ended up hitting up John from crawl and said, Hey man, I got something that I'd, I'd like to have you shoot if you're interested. And he had made some noise about wanting to shoot my, my trail buggy. And I was like, nobody wants to see this thing. It's, you know, it looks like it's been through a meat grinder. It's just beat. So when we got that thing going, it was like a week and a half or something before we left for King of the Hammers. And we literally drove it in the trailer and took it over to Moon Rocks and not Moon Rocks. We took it to Prison Hill, took it to Prison Hill and unloaded it. And the first time it saw dirt was, you know, pulling off the trailer. So, you know, all the nipples on the tires and as fresh as it was going to get. So got to shoot it, do it, got a cover and big old spread in the magazine and then drug it down to Johnson Valley and dealt with some little new car tuning blues and stuff, getting the fans working correctly and this and that. And, but the cars turned out to be super rad. She can drive it anywhere anybody else can drive. And it's funny, you know, like Sunday we wheeled it. Um, prison hill and then monday night after work we went down to knuckle buster this week you know two nights in a row basically wheeling that thing and i wondered going into it how long it was going to take her to start getting cocky and she'll point the thing at anything that you know anything that i'll do she'll try and and usually do it just as good or better you know so she's a pretty good driver so she pushes you and keeps you on your game huh yeah well, definitely the, the, the pictures I saw just from your, your, I think your Sunday trip was, uh, just the vertical. You guys were doing some, some pretty sweet verticals. That thing looks like a goat. So that wall, I've tried it 20 times. I made it once and she poked at it three times and drove straight up the thing. I blame the tires, but those red label 42 crawlers on her car really, really stick and hook up good. So it's pretty neat. I like the car and I think it's cool that she has it and two that she's such a good and accomplished driver. I, I heard like through the grapevine that she, that she'd made some comments like, Oh, it only took 20 years. So I, right. I, I laughed at that, but no, very, right. very, 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 very nice. I'm frustrated with myself for, I sold the trail buggy to Nolan Grogan, my first trail buggy that oh, I ever caddy built. on dubs. No, sorry. It was no, um, oh, oh, a uh, bash buggy. Nolan named it. What am I trying to say? He christened it. He dubbed it. Nolan dubbed it the bash buggy because it was just a a beater. It was a pretty cool car in its day. It had a three RZ, which I believe was the first three RZ in a tube car. And it was all chromoly front to back. You know, all, all the chassis was all 4130 tubing and it had a narrowed 60 in the front and the 
Toyota 8.4 in the back. And the thing was 2,600 pounds on 39-inch TSLSXs, or not TSLSXs, but regular old TSLs, I guess. And the thing, it was just an absolute riot to wheel. It had like a 70-30 weight bias with that 60 in the front. You didn't need to run water or anything. It just anything you could push that 60 up, it would drag the rest of the car along behind it. So I sold that thing. What I was getting at is I can't believe it took me from, that was 05 to 2018, 2019. I finally built another trail buggy and I wheeled the dog crap out of, you know, a bunch of my race cars over the years. Cause that was all I had to play with, but the trail buggies are a ton of fun. I think what you've done by winning KOH three times being in a solid axle car has proven and where I'm kind of going with this is proven that you know, the rocks and you didn't just learn the rocks on day one. You didn't just buy a car, build one car and go out. You have, you end up, you know, in Southern California and then you end up close to the Johnson Valley and, uh, you end up basically just living out there for the most part for many years, but leading up to the onset of KOH becoming a thing. Right. Dave Cole has told me, I don't know how many people he shared it with, but that I was one of his inspirations for starting King of the Hammers. One day we were out there running sledgehammer and me and my buddy Shane Whitebro with the fro mm-hmm. from Pirate. We went up sledgehammer and passed Dave and his cronies and, and came back around down the sand hill and passed him again. And they hadn't gone that far. And I, we may have passed them three times on the same trail, basically in the same spot. And he was like, dang, we should do a race. So that was my MO before racing. Rock racing was really much of a thing was, you know, let's, we've seen that we can drive these trails. Let's see how fast we can drive them now, you know? And that little Toyota buggy um, worked out really good for that back in the day for me. You know, I still, every now and then randomly will text Nolan Grogan. Great guy lives in a, some little burg north of Jackson, Mississippi. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but lo- love the guy. I've gone and stayed with them. You know, his little you know ranch that they, uh, that they live on. Gosh, I wish I could remember the name, but it'll come to me. You know, they film movies out there on a regular basis. And the, the biggest one I remember being filmed out there was, Oh brother, where art thou with, and, and they filmed that at, at Nolan's place north of Jackson. But yeah, that, that bash buggy. I didn't know that you didn't name it. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> But I know right. that was a car that that dude loved. I think of all the cars that he had, and he had some nice different wheelers. I mean, he had that four seat twisted customs at one point, but it always seemed like I'm not putting words in Nolan's mouth, but it always seemed like reading his emotions was the bash buggy was the car that he missed the most. Like the, right. he got, you know, I guess maybe it was because it was the bash buggy. He didn't, he wasn't so nice to it. And so he got a wheel harder versus when he got that twisted customs car, it was so much money and it was so nice and it didn't get, used to its full potential maybe i don't know so i'll tell you how i met nolan i don't know that i knew of nolan maybe i'd seen the i call it wong grog i don't know if that's how you pronounce his screen name from pirate yeah but i may have seen it but i went to um to arizona and we ran the bumblebee area for martin luther king day and this i believe was 2005 or maybe it was 2006 but Nolan and his buddy Jim had come out from Texas and Jim had this $150,000 Sunray engineering buggy that was beautiful. And Nolan had this red land cruiser. He called it Kate. Yes. That, Kate. That yeah, right? that's right. Yep. 
and it had, I believe it just had a solid axle, like a 60 or something in the front, but it had, um, it had a, a mog portal axle on the back with a nine inch center. And it was like a steel, you know, I want to call it a fabricated nine, but everyone would have the wrong idea a factory Ford housing and the extra leverage and the way that thing was set up with the boxes, he got to money shot, which is the first obstacle that they did when they pulled the rigs off the trailer and he twisted the tube right out of that center section and broke it and broke the the shock and the springs were falling off. And that was the end of his week. He made it, you know, not five feet on the first rock trail and the thing blew up. And Jim, his car, he made it to the top of Money Shot, but he landed on the front link and it side loaded it and it broke the weld bung, the, the tube adapter out of the end of this weird fabricated link that they had built at Sunray. And it didn't have much engagement on the bung. And it was just a little cute, pretty TIG weld, and it just side-loaded and broke it right out. Nolan ended up riding around with me in that car for the rest of the weekend. And the very first thing he said to me when I pulled it out of the trailer was, does it run? He walked over and looked at it, and he's like, does it run? And I was like, well, yeah, I came here to wheel it. Obviously, it runs. But I used to get that a ton with that car. I I buried all the wiring and all the plumbing the best I could, and it, the car didn't look complete you know, by most people's standards, like, where's the battery? Where's, you know, and everything was just tucked away as much as I could coming from um, working a couple of years at a sand car shop down in Southern Cal. I tried to hide everything the best I could. So anyway, he asked me something about, is it for sale or would you sell it? And I was like, yeah, for 25. And he's like, 2,500 done. I'll take it today. I was like, fuck you. You can't have it for 2,500 bucks. It's 25,000 bucks. And he laughed at me and then he rode around in it for the weekend. And by the end of the weekend, he's like, I'll be in touch. So within a month or something, I think he mailed me a check for it and had it picked up. Some of the, some of his other Land Cruiser cronies came by and picked it up and took it out to Contempsy for one of their big runs in Texas. Yeah, he was. He lived in Dallas. He's he he is from the Jackson, Mississippi area, but he lived in Dallas for quite a few years, and that's when I initially met him. And then Jim, when Jim had that Sunray buggy built, you know, Lance Gilbert, you know, was at Sunray at the time before PSC, and then before Tribe, and you know, Lance knows that car inside and out. But Jim passed away, basically with that car in Clayton. They were cutting trails, and he had a heart attack, and you know, went to went to Jim's funeral. It was probably the cleanest I've ever seen the North Texas wheeling crowd, you know, um, somber moment, but you know, at the same time it got us all together cleaned up and not on the trail and not holding beers. And, uh, it, it, it was a good it, loss of a great man. Um, but that car left that, uh, that Sunray car left the, the, basically the circle after he passed away as his widow bounced it. I don't remember where it went, but it came back and uh, a good friend of mine, Derek Stewart, now owns it up in the Dallas area. So it gets it gets regularly wheeled at this point versus it didn't for a long time. But yeah, that was that Sunray buggy. It's it's something else. I mean, huge like fifteen fifty steering joints and you know just these custom aluminum knuckles. Like it was it was pretty baller back then, and and now even today. I just remember the inner seas are like inch and a quarter or something thick bar that they press broke into a C shape yeah. and then machined it all out. And it's pretty wild. It's pretty cool to just have the the tooling that will allow you to do something like that. It's that's, that's where crazy. we were at. 
I mean, it's still, there's things on that car that are still cutting edge today and it's a 13 or 14 year old car. I would say it's easily 13. It may be more well, than that. So five or six when I met him, when he had that. Yeah, there we go. So there we go. Maybe it's even 16 or 17 years old and it's still, there's things on that, you know, the electronic sensors for recentering the rear, the rear steer. Like it has a little uh, electric limiting, you know, Delco Remy uh, sensors where as it bumped it, it would know where it's, what positions. Yeah. Just, I mean, just little stuff like that. I mean, just, just fun as hell. Yeah. Nolan Grogan got Tilda Bogue. That's the name of his, uh, his place there. And uh, Tilda Bogue, I don't know what Tilda Bogue means, means, but it's lots of Spanish moss hanging on trees. That's what I'll go with. And then, uh, very wet and humid there. Th- th- this is exactly what it is, it, but there's no population. There's nobody lives in Mississippi. There's like 14 dudes and a goat. <laughs> a goat. Yeah. Oh that's man. That's a lot of action. So, so you're, uh, you know, you, you're, you built this, the bash buggy in SoCal. So you're, you guys moved down from Walla Walla. You moved to SoCal. Krista's going to school. What are you doing? Because I, somewhere in here, You've started to learn how to weld. How did you learn how to weld, fabricate, and go from that kind of world in SoCal to you end up with a job? You were a welding teacher at Fab School. Jump through that th- those couple chapters, those couple years in life of how you went from there to there to there. Connect those dots for me. Well, I'm going to just skim through it real fast because it's not super exciting. The first job I got, the only thing that I knew was in SoCal was, uh, was all pro off road. So I went over to him and I ended up getting a job for John. And I think that lasted about three months and he fired me. And then I worked for a tire shop, um, Goodyear tire dealer. And I made like six fifty an hour, I think busting tires and changing oil. And that was terrible. And then I quit and I started working out of my garage on, um, Chris Ridgeway bought, brought me a little samurai that he'd rolled in Moab. And I ended up turning that thing into a buggy. He, a friend of his had cut it in half and they literally like wheelbarrowed fucking, <laughs> excuse me, like wheelbarrowed the thing into my shop, hanging onto the back frame rails. And he brought some Toyota axles and just a bunch of scrapyard junk, you know, some Toyota rear leaf springs we put up front and some, some TJ coils we put in the back, like stock stuff from, from behind somebody's shop or something. And we ended up building a little car that really worked way better than it should have. And made a lot of people cry. I used to make John Reynolds pretty sad when it would lap him on back door when they would race. And this is so long ago. Ridgeway still, he'd already lost his leg at that point, right? Actually, during the build process, he He opted to have it cut off. Okay. So as soon as it was finished, he was out there, you know, on crutches, basically operating the clutch of this five-speed buggy, you know, with with the crutch and his other leg with his new stump all bandaged up. I can't imagine being in that situation to make the decision to have your leg amputated. Yeah. I hope I never have to choose that, but he had had his ankle fused and then he'd go back racing dirt bikes and it would get more and more play and movement in it. And then he'd have it fused in the off season year after year of doing that. And then it had real bad edema and it was just a, just a mess. And it just constantly was, you know, he was in pain and on medication, Norco, you know, painkillers. And he just said, you know, it's not worth it. I don't need this thing dragging me down. So he cut it off and 
then he was able to go race extremity games <laughs> with all the gimps. <laughs> so. all the, yeah, terrible. Well, you know, I, I know a, a, a friend of mine, a guy in the community now is kind of going through, you know, kind of the same thing. It's Josh West over at CBM, you know, a guy that, you know, and, uh, he's, he has knee problems and, and I think he's going through the, and he, he was on the talent tank a, a couple episodes ago, but I just found out, you know, in the past maybe two weeks that he's in this situation where he's considering uh, an amputation of his leg because of his problems on his knee. And, and I just, I, I just pray for him. I, 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 I can't imagine being in the situation to have to make a decision like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that they can do a new joint in his knee or something like that. He's, he already has an artificial joint, but it's just not working out for him. But yeah, football in his college days wasn't nice to his knee, I guess. Yeah. And he's, and he's, he's a big guy. So Southern California, how did you, how did you meet Ridgeway? Just wheeling out at Johnson Valley? Yeah. So he brought a samurai out and I was telling um, Amber about it because it reminds me of hers. It was just a little tin top on, you know, 31s or 32s or something like that. And he was talking about how he was going to run wrecking ball with it. And I was just shaking my head like, no, you're not, you're not running up wrecking ball on 31 inch tires on a stock samurai. And he gave it hill and then, you know, ran into him a few different times, but ended up, you know, he brought that thing over to me and we turned it into a buggy after he mangled it in Moab. In that era, you know, this is way before KOH was even, you know, a glimmer in anyone's eye. How many weekends do you think you spent a year on Means Dry Lake running around Johnson Valley? Oh, man, I wish I could Swag remember <laughs> a lot, you know. We'd go out during wheeling season, you know, a couple weekends a month, maybe more. And I would go in spurts, you know, when I first got down there and it was it was that time of year I went a lot. And then I think I ran that Toyota truck that I moved down there with for two or three seasons and started getting kind of tired of it. And then, you know, got onto the buggy build thing. And then of course, when the buggy was done, I think the first time we ran, it was at the 10 bender Jamboree in April and it was already getting hot. So I ended up relocating the radiator to the back of the car. So I didn't have all that heat from the radiator fan blowing at me. And then we would go out on Friday after work and wheel till three in the morning and then crash out on the open trailers or in the back of the truck or whatever and get up with the sun you can't sleep anymore at five o'clock in the morning or whatever it is and we'd wheel until 10 or 11 when it was 105 or 10 or something out there already and then head home and we did that for a year i only had that bash buggy for a year or so before i sold it to no one actually i think it was nine months from when it first ran till when it was sold that's nothing at all you barely even broke it in at that point Right. I did that with the first, the first bomber car too. So when those Land Cruiser dudes came by and picked that thing up and took it to Nolan, one of the kids that was in the group, his name was Matt. And you touched on earlier, the caddy on dubs, he ended up coming to me and brought me a bunch of parts that he'd been collecting to put in the Land Cruiser that he had. And we started building a, a buggy out of it. And at first it, you know, it was a TBI 350 and a 700R and a some abortion dual transfer case Land Cruiser stuff I don't know anything about. And one piece at a time, I talked him into an LS and then talked him into a an Atlas. And But he showed up with these, these portal axles that were by Portal Tech. And I ended up being the guy that 
was the first their first victim i would say dealt with that for close to a year being lied to every time i talked to him on the phone and strung along and portal tech is some of the people might realize became super 14 later so that's where um doug's axles are i guess that they are still with them yeah so those guys are some of the worst people i've ever had the misfortune of dealing with and that's currently torque right but i'm gonna get them wrong that's like t-o-r-c but not the ones that are the green logo in the northeast this is like an orange logo i get them green all confused. Logo, good other torque bad <laughs> <laughs> torque bad that's right man and and if you need if you ever you know need to know the right one just call phil accardi and be like phil which which where's doug's axles uh, where's doug's axles and you're gonna get us feel right yeah i could have saved a lot of people a lot of grief if they'd have listened to me but sometimes you just have to learn it the hard way right well, I, th- I think we're all kind of, you know, the school of hard knocks. I think that's why we all like each other because we're hard headed enough to, you know, cut our own path and blaze our own trail. And, uh, and with that comes some lumps and then we try to make the best of the lumps, but, uh, yeah, right. uh, all we've done is we really haven't failed. We've just found a way not to be successful and we won't do that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh That's man. It. So, uh, you do Ridgeways buggy, you do, you know, your own, you've done caddy on dubs, you've done a couple things out of your place there in SoCal. How did you learn how to weld? Because today, you know, you walk the cup, like a pro you throw down these amazing, well, weld porn is, is what, you know, it's, it's commonly known on Instagram as weld porn. You've got these, uh, beautiful, uh, just beautiful beads that you run with the TIG torch. It's clear you've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of visor downtime, uh, perfecting your craft. What sparked that? When did you pick up the torch and when did you start, you know, burning metal? So that leads perfectly back into your first question about where I've worked. We got sidetracked on Ridgeway and working on the Samurai in my garage, but he'll do that to us. Yep. That project lasted a few months and, uh, how did it go? I ended up, a new neighbor moved in and he heard the chops on the grinder and he came over and was checking out what I was doing. And he had a little shop in Grand Terrace, which was up three miles up the road from me that he called suspension dimension. And it was airbag mini truck stuff. And he was working on a, it was about a 99 or 2000 Chevy crew cab. And this was like, oh, two, oh, three, maybe. And he was putting 44-inch boggers or or TSLs or something under it, like the biggest tire you could buy at the time, and solid axle swapping it and doing a big drop-down, you know, subframe cradle, big old four-link, just a monster truck, you know, big old show showboat and Bluetooth front drive line. A SEMA fail build. Yeah, exactly. So I ended up going to work for him, and that shop just so happened was two doors down from Extreme Performance Sand Cars. And when suspension dimension wasn't doing great, he and I both went and went to work for Alan Nemo that owns Extreme Performance Sand Cars. And I ended up, really, that was the beginning of my, I was going to call it formal education. That's not the right term. I, well, I think that is. I, I think that works because if you apply that to your welding, but also a lot of what you're, I think you're, the path you're going to walk us down here is it applies to your mindset and mentality in car design. Yeah, that's fair. So that was when I 
started playing with the TIG. I'd had the opportunity in in college to to TIG weld, and I told the the welding instructor at the time, I'm never going to have a TIG welder. I'm never going to have access to one of these things again. All I want to do is play with the sick welder and play with the you know the gas torch and and do some MIG welding. He's like, ah, just just keep after it. So now the the TIG's up the pretty much the only thing that ever comes out in my shop. But yeah, I I got the the opportunity to start welding there at Extreme, and I learned how to weld aluminum quite well. And we did a lot of plumbing on twin turbo LS motors back in the you know oh three oh four oh five era. Everybody was refining their house and taking out a fat second, and you know dropping a hundred thousand dollars on a thousand horsepower sand buggy. You know what? What else could you want to do? Take the glamis and rip it, right? Exactly. So. Yeah, I just, I learned a lot about, you know, building stuff clean and hiding stuff. And, you know, it's kind of that chopper motorcycle mentality, like dragging the wiring through the the inside of the tubing on the chassis for the taillights and just keeping things really clean. And obviously we don't do that on the rock crawler, but I just always try to to hide things on my cars as much as I can and make, make whatever bracket I'm making, it needs to do, you know, double duty at, at least a couple things, if not more, you know, we don't just willy nilly hang things on the car to do one purpose. It's, it's always got to be thought out and, you know, do as, do as much for us as we can. Which I find, you know, you and Jesse Haynes kind of have very similar mindsets and theories on that. And it's cool to see where you guys came from completely different worlds, but then you've gravitated towards the same mentality. And we're more or less neighbors. Yeah, that too. <laughs> he lives about, 40 minutes from here. Hey, you guys b- both punched out and ended up over there. And I mean, n- not a bad place in the world to live. Certainly it's not in the state of California. So good on y'all. It's close enough that we can have all the perks of California without the downside. And the, the taxes and the people. Well, the people are unfortunately funneling in pretty quickly, but yeah, just um, the big city life and all this stuff that goes along with that. Hey, I just found out today. My wife told me today that, you know, this is Texas. We, we certainly are importing blue voters at a record pace as well. And she had to tell me about some people that we know that, uh, we are exporting them to, uh, to a blue state, you know, they're moving to Illinois and I couldn't help but laugh. Like, yes, we got one to go the other direction. We got one to leave. Yay. Finally. Oh, oh Lord. Sorry. Sorry about the, 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 the tangent on there. So you're, you're working, you're building sand cars, you're making them simple. It's you're developing this mindset and mentality of how to build an uncomplicated, maybe complicated, but make them look as simple as possible. And that was the first thing that went through my head when I got to see the first bomber in person and look at it. And it was just like, where's all the crap? You know, normally it's this, you know, 10 pounds of crap in a five pound sack on any right. rock crawler on any buggy and yours seem like 4.9 pounds of crap in a five pound sack. And <laughs> you've perfected that over. Well, now when was, you know, so 12 years ago, that was your first one. And how many bombers are out there today? I know we're getting off, off subject and jumping ahead, but I mean, you, you developed the crate, your, uh, your basically bomber in a box program. Right. So, I used to keep super good track and I, I called them bomber one and bomber two and bomber three. I've lost track somewhere up over 25 turnkey cars that I've built myself in the shop, but there's, 
somewhere around 75 or maybe over 80 now um, running around out there in, in the wild. And I just picked up another 25 chassis kit. So the, the barn's full of um, spaghetti, a bunch of bent tubes, ready and waiting for the next project. Now I saw something. This is a tidbit. This is an Easter egg, but you posted on social media about interest in, oh, you see where I'm going. You know where I'm going. I know where you're going. In pint size. Are they three quarter, three kid, quarter size? Kid bomber. Kid bombers. Yeah. Are they seven so eighths or three quarter or what was I've been approached a number of times, but a dude hit me up on Instagram midweek or, or over the weekend or something. I don't remember when it was, whatever. And he's like, Hey man, I will buy, I'll buy two of them. I'll buy three of them. I'll do whatever we have to do. If you'll build these things. And I was like, you know what? Let me, I'll put some feelers out both on social and see if there's other interest and, you know, hit up the CAD shop, the CNC shop and see what they, what they can do for me with that. Typically I need to do like, you know, 10 at a time to get the price point down where people can stomach it. So I hit them up for a price on 10 chassis for what I came up with was Toyota axles are three quarters of the width of my race car axles. So three quarter scale, simple three quarter scale. Well, I, <laughs> I was in, co- co- you know, Cody Wagner was a customer of yours at one point, you know, he, he had a couple bombers and, and I was in his shop. It was a KOH. I don't know this year, last year, I don't know the years run together, but I got to see his mini buggy or kid buggy or whatever you want to call it. And you can call it cute, but I was like, this thing's like, it was legit. Like it's, it's a three quarter sized, amazing little crawler. So I want to say it was on, I want to say it's on 35s, but I mean, if, if you have little bombers running around, I mean, what are you going to call them? Bombettes? What do you, you got a name? (laughs) You figured out a name for them? I really haven't thought that much about it. IEDs, improvised explosive <laughs> device, right? Bomber Fab. And one of my employees back in California, Kyle, my my main man, he was on a budget and we were gonna do back in back in those days, we were bending and notching everything by hand. So we were gonna put um the pipe die in the in the bin tech and and do up a pipe bomber. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Poop pipe. Yeah. It worked for a lot of my early projects, so so what, what was the, what, I, I guess I've used this word now twice now, catalyst. What was the world where you left the sand car world and, uh, and end up, you know, teaching over fab school? Was it, you know, crash of 08? I mean, what made that, that move for you? I just outlived my, my interest in that place, I guess moved on. I started working on the caddy on dubs project right about then I sold the, the first trail buggy and I bought a TIG welder and I bought a lathe and I set up a little shop in my little tiny two car garage in Colton, California. Matt came along and we started on that caddy on dubs project. And I thought that that would sustain me for a while, but it got to be, you know, portal tech couldn't keep up with the parts and the kid couldn't keep up with the money. And it just got where I needed to find another gig. So I ended up, I don't remember how I got turned on to it, but um, there was a shop close to my place that did paintless dent repair tools and they needed a welder. So I ended up um, going and really burned a lot of rod welding handles on paintless dent repair tools and welding these little uh, light frames that they use to, to look at the light down the side of the car when they're doing dent repair on, on vehicles. So I welded, you know, 
I think I was only there six months or a year or something like that. But every day, you know, was at the welder welding. So I got a ton of seat time there. And that dude, my boss there ended up turning me on to Troy Johnson. He was like, Troy's, Troy's a badass. And I was like, who's Troy? So one day at lunch, I cruised over to the shop and they were just in the very beginning stages of setting up the school. You know, they're still running power and air around the shop and building the workbenches and with the, you know, all the curtain dividers and stuff between them. And so I ended up going to work for him shortly thereafter and, you know, welding and building on stuff. In the beginning, he had Johnson Fabrication and the the fab shop was a couple rows behind the the school. So we were working on class one buggies and 10 cars and welding and building on race cars in the evenings and um, doing the fab school thing, you know, getting that place set up in the morning and getting you know, some experience at both ends of that. And then when he got the the school fired up, he'd have 60 kids, uh, three classes, 20 kids a piece, um, a morning class and evening class. And then one, so it was like Tuesday, Thursday, and then like Monday, Wednesday classes. So he had 60 kids going at any given time. So I got to interact with a bunch of different people doing that and, you know, met a bunch of cool guys and, um, still have some friends today that were, you know, students from Fab School, and I understand that a lot of people think I went to the Fab School that I was a student there, but I definitely learned a lot while I was there. But I was an instructor and mostly welding and fabrication stuff. But believe it or not, I'd stand up front in the classes and give theory on suspension geometry and this and that. So it was a definitely a growing experience for me. I had to get out of my shell a little bit and. I think I've reverted a lot from that experience. I, I was doing pretty good there for a while, but I learned a ton and it was a really good experience for me. And then from there, as soon as I quit that job, I started um, the first bomber car in my little two car garage. And But by that point though, Randy, you'd, uh, you knew John Reynolds, you co-drove in the 2007 King of the Hammers, the very, the right. inaugural, the OG 13 right. that was 12 cars. And John Reynolds, uh, Jr. wins the race with Randy Slauson in the co-driver's seat. Correct. Yep. And that, that really fueled the fire, of course, for the next step, which is to have my own race car. And I'd, I'd already been working on it, and I'd been trying, but we had a few different setbacks. You know, I sold the, the first buggy, and I was going to build a LS1-powered car. And I had the motor, and I had the trans, and I had the T-case, and I had the axles. And then we got kicked out of our house and we had to, our rental program wasn't working out. We had to move and I had to pack up all of my toys and put them in mini storage. And that, that was right at the end of the caddy on dubs deal. I built that caddy on dubs thing and I had to back burner my project. And then we lost the house and we had to put everything away in storage. And then, so anyway, my wife graduated nursing and the same day I quit fab school and started working on that project that had been mothballed. We moved into a new house and nine months later, the first bomber was born. The baby. <laughs> and then that, and that, that car went on to, I mean, it, it lived, a, it lived for a while. It lived internationally. That thing went to Australia for a while. It all, did. All the Napier. And then it's back here. Who, who owns it now? Um, the Cairo bar, body, Cairo body, the kind of blank. What's that dude's name? He's up in Washington state. Jeremy Jones. No, he's in Idaho. 
That's not right. No. Nope. I haven't talked to that guy in a quick minute. I think he still owns it. He has a chiropractic clinic in Tri-Cities or gotcha. Yakima or somewhere up there. It's, it's floating around with the other 80, 80 bomber kits that are out <laughs> there. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's something else. So that first, you know, 2007 running around John Reynolds, you guys, you guys win. And that really kind of sets you on a trajectory to have your own car and be, be there on, on your own. Did you race? I'm, I'm sure you raced in a 08. Did you race your own car in 08 or did you ride with somebody in 08? So backing up just a tiny bit, Dave yeah. invited me. I would have been OG to the first 2007 King of the Hammers. And I just sold that car to Nolan. And so I was talking to Nolan about it. And he was like, if you, if you want to come and pick it up in Texas, you can race it and just fix it back up and bring it back to me. And at the time, driving to Texas 24 hours one way, was just not in the cards. I didn't have, had a shit box, old half ton Chevy. And, you know, I didn't have gas money like that. I couldn't afford to be driving around the country to borrow that car, even though I wanted to really bad. Um, so I didn't get to, you know, be an OG 13 driver, but I did the next best, best thing and was the winning co-driver. So then the, the caddy on dubs build getting towards the end of it. The kid was like, if you finish it in time, um, you can race it in King of the Hammers. So we ended up entering it in King of the Hammers and we drew a third start position and we passed first and second real quick. And we were out in front crazy story about that one. So at the time I was working for Troy and we were out shock tuning and it was, you know, the, the very beginning of, you know, my experience with King shocks and those guys and shock tuning and, you know, what that was all about and how amazing that is. Like if you haven't had a car that's shock tuned correctly, you're really missing out. So we're shock tuning and the, this LQ nine that turnkey engine supply had put some nasty heads on. It blew up, broke a piston. And this was Thursday and the race was Friday. So we loaded up, we went down to fab school and a few different guys came with us. And one of them was, I'm so bad with names, Justin Reese that races the stock Toyota truck. Yeah. And Justin came down and, and helped us pull the motor out of that car. We got to fab school. I don't know what it would have been two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon and something we showed up at CBM and Chris had got wrangled by Troy into helping us fix the motor. So we showed up there well past closing time on Thursday night. It was, you know, 7 p.m. or something like that. And we showed up with a couple hundred dollars in Taco Bell for the crew. And he put a piston in the thing and new head gaskets and new spark plugs and got it all back together. And I think it was probably two o'clock in the morning or something before we had the car running. And we put it on a trailer and I don't remember whose tow rig it was. I don't remember much about it. I, I got in the back seat and tried to fall asleep. I don't think we made it back to the lake bed until, you know, three thirty four in the morning, something like that. I got just a tiny little cat nap before we had to be suited up and, and take the checkered flag or the, the green flag rather. So we got off to an early lead and ran 25 of the, that year was 50 miles in the lead and then the <laughs> POS performance off-road steering does that sound right POS that was a Texas guy I think or something uh anyway his steering stuff lived up to the acronym that he called it and the front seal fell out of the pump and ended <laughs> our day early but that was the first time I'd driven in a race myself 
and you know it really really sparked you know the the need for speed that, that shock tuning experience and that that lq9 with the cam and heads in it was making 500 horsepower or something and that was super exciting so it didn't take me too long to get back to the shop and start working on that first bomber car and at the time you know the thing was completely cutting edge you know it had leading arms and trailing arms and it was kind of a long low lean machine back in the day everybody was pretty excited about it oh no for for sure now you even today you had I think this is a testament, you know, the, the, the light bright crowd took your car this year, you know, I say crowd crew, husband, wife, uh, you know, you know, crew and they finished KOH their first ultra four race. They finished, I think 17th somewhere in there. Does that sound about right? And a, I wish I could remember, but I yeah. don't. And it just goes to a testament that if you're a, a, a good driver and you have good equipment, you can, you can pull that race off and, and they did their, you know, very, very good drivers. I, I really love where, where you've gone with, with the bombers over the, from that first one that you completed in 09 to where we are today, how many chassis iterations are there? Is there very many derivations between all that time period? I know you're constantly evolving little parts of it and making better parts fit better what are the nuances like what are the biggest nuances even maybe well bomber one was a 111 inch wheelbase and it had single shock and really when uh, emc and legends class came around dave pretty much made that class around that car more or less you know it it fit the bill the specs for emc 48 exactly other than the tire size the Bomber 2 car, when I built it, I stretched it to 114, and we put bypass shocks on it. Both those cars were inch-and-a-half cars, and I thought that was cool. It was light and sleek back in the day. The next car I did was for Chris Garrison, and he wanted an inch-and-three-quarter car, so we built an inch-and-three-quarter car, and that was the last of the inch-and-a-half cars, of course. They've been inch-and-three-quarter ever since. Pretty much always... You know, the first one, the second one, the third one, all the way down the line, they're all 4130 cars. It's all 4130 plate that I cut brackets out of. There's been lots of, you know, subtle little changes. We started rolling the roofs versus flat roof, and we we moved the cabin forward, then we moved it back, then we moved the engine forward, and we moved the engine back. And we, you know, just monkeyed around with them from car to car, trying to figure out exactly what we wanted after, I think it was the 2014 car that I built. We raised the sliders up an inch and a half compared to everything else in the car, which gave it a lot more ground clearance. And we, along with that, bumped the the seat height up just a little bit, which um, made for a lot better visibility over the nose of the car. Okay. Kind of counterintuitive to go up, but I believe it made it a lot faster in the rocks. You can see better and you're not hitting the sliders on the ground as much. And then... The biggest changes over the years have just been the componentry, you know, better shocks, better tuning. And then with that comes, you know, once you can go faster, then you need more power. And then once you have more power, then you need a better transmission and a better transfer case and better drive shafts and better axles. And on down the line it goes, you know, it's just a vicious cycle. This is a good good segue to, uh, I, I wasn't really prepared to talk about this King of the Hammers that you just won. I mean, you won your first one in 13, you you backed it up in 15, and then it eluded you for a handful of years. You're still the, you're, you're still the solid axle guy. You're still staying solid axle. You win here recently. And the rumor I heard 
around this and, and Amber kind of backed it up a little bit, but she was like, that's Randy. Sorry, I let him tell it that you actually didn't go all boy howdy on motor this time. You actually backed off horsepower so that you were saving components. Is there any truth to that urban legend? So the 20, I built the new car that we raised 2017 and the, the deal with that was the car that I raced 14, 15, 16 ended up going to China. So I built a new car. And when we built that car, I'd had a LS3 425 stroker that was, I don't know, I think it put 330 to the wheels. And I was like, man, I need some more power. I'm getting, I'm getting outpowered everywhere. So we ended up putting a aluminum LSX style block in the thing, built a 440 with LS7 heads and stuff. It was a big step up from the power that it had. And I raced West Coast in 17. I did all the series races and I ended up um, getting a few thirds and ended up third for the season and had some fun doing that. It was kind of expensive, you know, doing right. it all out of pocket, but I, I enjoyed it. You know, I had a really good time racing with the guys and getting out more. The Texas race was probably my favorite all-time race. Uh, what was the name of that town? I know exactly where you, I'm drawing a blank. It's just uh, just east of El Paso. It's you know the the famous uh, Border Patrol checkpoint is there where they like you know brag about busting Willie Nelson for smoking pot or having pot on his bus. It's not Texana. Um, Sierra, Sierra Blanca. Blanca. Yeah, there it is. So Sierra Blanca, other than King of the Hammers, is probably the favorite. My favorite race I ever raced. We were out there on these country roads, and pre-running and i was talking to dustin my cousin was co-dogging with me and i was like this is the stupidest thing ever what are we need a rally car not a rock crawler what are we doing out here so we pre-ran and the car was set up real loose for king of the hammers and we came back to the pits and i walked around the car with a wrench and i put you know a turn or so in every rebound tube i was like something's got to get like this thing's terrible and we didn't even get to to pre-run or practice or test it out or anything. We just went racing and real quick. I, I figured out that I nailed it. Like the car was just glued to the ground. It was the Didn't rally car good? that I wanted yeah. and it felt so good. We were having a blast. So we're moving along down this, you know, little lane and a half farm road, gravel road. And these guys had built these Caliche road. We, we call them Caliche roads here in Texas. Kalichi. Is that what it is? Yeah, Kalichi. So they built these water bars with the cattle guard at the top of them. And it felt like it was five foot vertical elevation gain from the roadway itself. And I hit one of them on accident at 95 miles an hour. And we flew. It was like one of those ski jumps you see on the. Hey, some good old boys. <laughs> and like you get through Olympics the whole something. course of the song while you're in the flying. air. And I was like, and when when I hit it, I was like, oh man, this, this is going to be bad, but it landed perfect. And we just looked at each other and giggled. So we just hit all of them at a hundred miles an hour. It was insane. And I can't believe nobody media wise was out there taking pictures and video of us hucking those crazy cattle guard crossings, but we just had an absolute blast. So did it, did it look and feel like, like, uh, like, you know, uh, like Laughlin, like the highway crossing or like prim, like the dike jump or anything like that. I feel like it looked like that. I wasn't on the outside, unfortunately. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It, it literally felt like we flew a couple hundred feet, you know, just like not super high off the ground, but airborne, you know, for a ways. That, that so, feels good though. 
when you feel the tires droop out and hit the end of the straps, you feel that the straps hit. You're like, Oh yeah, this feels good. (laughs) Oh, this feels real good. It was pretty fun. I ended up having a guy come along and bought that car. You talked to the red and red and blue, not red and blue, black and blue. Oh, black and blue. Nate, Jesse, Nate, Jesse bought that car. So Nate called me up one day and he kind of talked about his, his side of that whole experience. I was on my way to Axial Fest at the campground, Cisco Grove, at the end of the Fordyce Trail. I talked to him on my way there with that car, and he was looking for a Legends car. And I said, man, I already sold the Legends car, but I have this 4400 car that you could have for the right price. And so we talked on the phone a little bit, and he got off, talked to his lady, called me back. He said, I'll put a check in the mail. So I went up to that Axial Fest. And we were goofing around, having some fun. And I was going to give some of the the Axial employees rides in that car. And I ended up heading up the access road towards Fordyce. And then as I do, I, I squirreled and I got sucked into it. And we made it all the way up to the first crossing pretty quick. And I looked at it and I was like, it doesn't look any deeper than normal. And we plunged down in there and hydrolocked the thing and freaking windowed the block on the most expensive motor I ever had. And it was all bad from there. What do you think so, flow rate was on Ford ice at that point? Oh man, I I'm bad at that. It was probably three fifty or four yeah. something like that. If I had to guess, it was about four inches deeper than my car wanted to cross. So <laughs> that was a bit of a downer. Well, I still love that story of how Nate Jesse ends up with a 4,400 car. He, you know, he was in LA as, you know, Indiana guys tell him to come up to KOH. He, he buys some clothes and, you know, cause he was in work, you know, like dress suit clothes and he goes up there and, and a year later he's got an 18 wheeler and he's just, yeah. he just went he, all the way as far in as you could go. Nicest yeah. bunch of guys ever. He's awesome. He's, he's definitely my hero. Yeah. He, I like <laughs> his style. He and he does. He's got lots of style. Uh, that whole team Indiana crew is, is something else. So you, you were going up to Axial Fest and, and messing around with those guys. So this must be around the time frame where did they approach you and how was that approach? Because today Axial has and sells a one tenth scale bomber, and it looks just like right. your KOH car. It's blue bomber fab king stickers. I mean, it is. It looks just like the car looks when it leaves the line at King of the Hammers, and you could. You know, any, any hobby shop, you can pick one up, you know, and they're 450 bucks and they're fun and funner in hell. That's, that's the, right. that's the other key part. I remember you were selling them for a while or you were always carrying around a couple, two, three, four. Hey, if you want one, I've got one, hit me up. But, uh, how, how did that conversation happen and start to where you now have an RC car running around there? That is something that existed inside your brain for many years. And then you built it and you built the, the one-to-one scales. And now there's, uh. RC versions. How fascinating is that? So I've told this story to the, to the axial guys and they got a chuckle out of it. I had a Traxxas sledgehammer and RC 10 when I was in grade school. So I was an RC kid way back. And then when I was at fab school, I had a guy, one of the students come in with one of these axial AX 10s. It was their first little rock crawler kit that you could buy and put together. And it, you know, had solid axles and, coilovers and whatnot so i was like man i need one of those and he's like i can hook you up so um i don't remember what they were you know 250 350 something bucks back in the day and 
my wife actually built that thing on our living room floor, every piece of it, put it all together herself uh, while I was out tinkering in the shop doing the real thing. When we're done with it, you know, I, I tweaked on it a little bit, cut the spring shorter and lowered the thing down, tried to make it work a little better. But the link geometry was absolutely terrible. And it worked exactly the way it looked like it would work. And if it was a one-to-one car, it was fun to drive, but it just didn't wheel that good. So for a quick minute, I thought to myself, man, I'm going to cut this thing up and turn it into a bomber, you know, make make a test bed that I can try ideas out on. And then I was like, or I just keep building one-to-one. Yeah, right. So I never ended up messing with that thing, but I still have it. So fast forward a few years, more names. Jake Yeoman, Jake Hollenbeck, right name. Jake Hollenbeck approached me and wanted to buy the Bomber 2 car. And it was like right at off-road expo time in October. And, you know, I'm getting geared up for, you know, King of the Hammers is four months away or whatever. And I told him, no, like, I'm not selling this car. I'm going racing King of the Hammers. And he just wouldn't take no for an answer just keep kept grinding on me kept grinding on me we had the car in off-road expo he came down and looked at it and ended up offering me enough money that i decided i i could probably live without it so my guy kyle and i we ended up starting building the new car we had projects to finish up before we could start on my car and we started uh like thanksgiving time and six weeks later the thing was on the dyno and that was you know, straight tubing from the tubing rack, like every bit, every piece. I called up spider tracks and I said, Hey, I need, you know, a couple of DOM housings. And they're like, well, we're four months out. And I said, no, the car's going to be on the dyno in a month and a half, not waiting for axle housings. And they're like, well, sorry. So I hit up John Curry and went down there and he just opened up the shop. He said, whatever you need, man. And he went above and beyond that year. We, I wanted to use Reed Racing Knuckles, and you know they don't sell that stuff. They've got their own brand, but he made axle shafts for the front end of that car and machined my Reed Racing Knuckles to accept his style of yoke. And he let me weld together chromoly housings, their Fab 9 in their facility there, set me up a shop in the back or a spot in the back of the shop, and I welded it all together and it was really awesome working with him. You know, he set me up with sway bars and stuff and all the goodies to go race that year. And I think it was about January 15th or something. We dynoed it. And then the next day we, you know, fixed a few leaks and stuff we had on the thing overnight and took it out to Barstow and went shock tuning with King and took it back home and, you know, tied up a bunch of loose ends for a week and took it to Johnson Valley and won with it. So that was you know, the first time that I won and it was a pretty rad experience. I towed that race car out to King of the Hammers in a truck I sold to my brother later for 3,500 bucks, not just because I like him, because that's what it was worth. That's the program that we run. I get a lot of flack from a lot of people. Why don't you race more? You know, they think I've got a money bags and I've got all these cars and all this, this momentum behind me, but I've run the most um, hand to mouth tight, you know, budget race team of anybody that's one king of the hammers. And on one hand, I'm I'm not proud that I'm a, I'm broke, but on the other hand, I'm proud I've done what I've done with you know what I what I had to do it with. Well, no, I I'll back you up on that. I remember you had this old half ton. Is that was a half ton Chevy? 
And yeah. how many years did you drive that? I think you probably won King of the Hammers twice and you were still driving that truck. Yeah, I think so. And then you finally treated yourself to, did you treat yourself to a new truck or a newer truck? Newer. I have a, an 07 Duramax that I bought with the first check that I won with. So I had $25,000 in the bank and I went and found a truck for 25 grand and bought it. And there you go. When you won that first time, did that help you basically launch Bomber Fab itself? Did it help? Was that the, the thing that helped you get off the ground? It didn't hurt, but I was trying to think how the timeline went. I guess that, yeah, because I won King of the Hammers, and then immediately I had an Indonesian guy we built a car for, and then Cody and Jim Wagner came, and we built two cars for them. And then in late 2013, February, not February, uh, November again, Thanksgiving time, I ended up building, starting to build a new car and we raced a brand new car and everybody gave me flack. Like, why would you race a new car when you, the old car won last year? Why is that not good enough? And we really made some massive improvements. We went from junkyard wheel hubs and junkyard style, you know, Dana 44, eight lug brakes and stuff to, you know, all unit bearings and, you know, Wellwood calipers and all the cool kid shit. So it was definitely, you know, leaps and bounds better than the car that I'd raced the year before. The King Shot package had, you know, fend reservoirs and a lot of nicer parts on it. And the car was absolutely night and day, like 20 mile an hour faster in the desert than the previous car. And it, it was painful that year at 14 racing King of the Hammers because we had all kinds of problems. We ended up getting eighth or ninth. I don't remember exactly what it was that year. But I knew that I could easily win in that car. So we took it back in 15 and we won with it. Yeah. I mean, that, that was kind of what that was, you know, Lauren, Lauren was who won in 14 and kind of, you know, upset you, but you were the the clear favorite except for this new car. Then there was, that was a lot of questions and that kind of set you up. I want to jump back. Cause we didn't close the, we didn't close the loop on the axials. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. What did they say? So you called them, they called you and they said, Hey, let's do it. Let's make these things. So the deal was Jake owned CKRC, which was a hobby shop in Reno, and he specialized in internet sales of rock crawler RC specific stuff. So that was where the Axial Wraith came from. The Wraith was Jake's personal rock crawl that he built. Oh, okay. And then Axial came along and built the miniature version, the RC version of the Wraith. So then Jake was campaigning my Bomber 2 car and um, racing doing really well. And they came to me and they said, we want the rights. We want to license this with you to build um, Axial Bombers. And I was like, cool. So from the first discussion to the last discussion, when it finally, you know, we signed a contract and they started making the things, it changed a lot because in the beginning they wanted to build Jake's car and they wanted to call it the Wraith 2. And I was like, absolutely not. You can't call my bomber car a Wraith. And so they had to slowly but surely come to terms with that and wrap their heads around the fact that, you know, you can't rebrand my product, another builder's, you know, name. (laughs) Right. Uh, And then during that time period that I was dealing with them, um, Jake quit racing. And I'd said, you know, why would you build the Helen Beck version when you could build the Randy Slauson version? I'm the one that won King of the Hammers. So by the time it actually came to fruition, they built the Randy Slauson bomber, you know, not the Jake axial two race, whatever. 
which Jake's a great guy, but it, it didn't carry the water that the blue and black and gray and white Randy Slauson, King of the Hammers winning bomber carries. It's not as iconic, right? right? Yeah. Right. I'd like to think so. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> I am for four hundred fifty bucks. You can own it too. Yeah, it's a super cool thing to, you know, go out to the mall or whatever and see one, or you know, you go to various rock crawling venues and you know, some kids running around in their little bomber car, and you know, it's it's awesome. It's super exciting every time I see it, and and it's super exciting when these young kids come up to me with their their little axial bomber cars and they want me to sign them and stuff and it's been super fun. Yeah. You're a superhero in that world. Right. Right. Okay, man. As we've kind of got through the construction and the constructability and kind of your design philosophy a little bit, we've touched on some of it, you know, simple is better. Make the bracket do three separate things. Let's talk about your, uh, your race acumen. Like you don't come out of the box over the past, let's call it 13, 14 years of King of the Hammers itself going on and be a three-time winner if you don't have a really solid race program. For you, I know, uh, I want to say one year in there, 09, 10, you finished really well, or you might've even been the first one across the box, but you got DQ'd. And I remember that, and it was it was something like at the top of Sunbonnet or 2021, you were supposed to go left and you went right. And you knew, and when Dave, Dave or Jeff or whoever approached you, you knew exactly where, where that was. What was the story around that? And then let's talk about your race program. Like what has been the feather in your cap that has allowed you in the, in a solid axle to continually to, to be in that conversation and to continue to uh, return back to the podium. The story you're talking about is 2009. 2009 was literally the first time that I raced the bomber car, right? So I had that new car. Previous to that, I'd raced 24 miles or whatever in, in 2008 behind the wheel. I really didn't have much seat time in the cars as far as racing, you know? And, you know, I don't, I'm technically challenged as we saw earlier with this whole getting the snipe thing going. So the GPS, you know, I wasn't good at that. The guy that I had with me wasn't good at that at the time. I knew where I was supposed to go, which was the master's courses area, the the rock pile out there to fuel. That was where the pit was. And I knew how to get to the pit, but I didn't know the way they wanted me to get to the pit. And we went the wrong way. And it was like three tenths of a mile difference. But when it came up and they said that they're going to penalize me an hour, it bumped me back two places, bumped me from second to fourth. I said, you know what? The rule is if you cheat or if you short course, you're disqualified. I said, I'm disqualifying myself. So then the next question was, what has moved forward? It took several years there in the beginning, you know, figuring out silly things like stay on course. It sounds simple, but it's harder to do in real life than it sounds like it might be. And knowing the place like the back of my hand, like I did, do, did, is actually a disadvantage at some times because you're not relying on the, the machine, the the GPS to tell you where to go. You're relying on your own intuitions and your own knowledge of the place, which bit me in the butt on that one. And then 2010, I ended up, I sold that 2009 car to Ben and I didn't have a chance to get another one done. I was working on other things and didn't get to build a car. And so I rode with Ben in 2010 and then 2011, I brought out the new Bomber 2 car and the thing was wicked fast. 
And I remember at that race, we were coming down Sunbonnet and we had, we got to the bottom where you cross over Hell's Gate Devil's Slide to go back around the desert the other way. And the thing I kept smelling coolant coming down that trail and we got, got down to Devil's Slide and that was the thing was overheating. We pulled over and we ended up spending felt like 20 minutes on the side of the trail before the next car showed up. I was like, man, we had a huge lead. That's so rough. Yep. So I ended up, I still have it. I had built an aluminum thermostat housing and welded it all together. And I had siliconed it onto the front of the water pump on this LS1. And the weight of the water line hanging off the end of that thing had distorted it and cracked it. And it started leaking and it started leaking at the silicone. You know, normally you'd have a, like a rubber gasket of some sort that would an O-ring or whatever that would have some give to it and, and keep it sealed. But I just silicone it on when it started fatiguing and moving it, it cracked the silicone. So I took the thing off and I was like, what can we do to make a gasket? So Greg, Royal Parks, Greg, Greg Adler, Adler came along and he had the, the Rick car, the easy Rick car at the time. And he had a flat tire and I had a spare and I traded it to him for all the water he had in his car and a sheetrock knife. And I cut the leather chafe guard out of the back of the seatbelt buckle. I cut that off the passenger seatbelt and I fashioned a thermostat housing gasket out of that piece of leather and got enough water in the car that we were able to get back to main pit. And I was Ben was being pitted by Scott Hartman with the dust junkies that year. And I kind of got lucky enough to tag onto that deal because, you know, Ben and I were buddies and he was racing one of my cars. And I came in with that repair and I, I told the guys on the radio what I'd done. I said, if it's not leaking, just give it a light little snug on those bolts and fill me up with water and send me on my way. And Scott took a look at that and he was so proud of me. He was like, we're going to help you out. You know, I was filling out a five gallon dirt bike gas cans with no fast fill tube on the car and just doing it all wrong, doing it like a broke rookie. And he's like, we can take you to the next level. You know, you, you got something going on. I think we came in like ninth or something, 10th with that repair and got clear back up to second. And the car ended up vapor locking out of inline fuel pump, more new newbie learning curve stuff. But we're well on our way to a solid, you know, second place finish even with the problems that we had with that car when all of that um transpired with the fuel system but good times so Hart, hartman and dust junkies you slide in under their wing a little bit and you learn from all their all their years south of the border and all their years in mdr and 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 get a apply some of that to your program right yeah those guys have become very good friends we love scott and tandy and they love krista and i He's helped me out every year since, you know, with the pitting stuff, you know, talking shop, talking strategy, talking, you know, fuel system repairs, you know, not during the races, but, you know, what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again type of stuff? Just a lot of, a lot of good times, a lot of good memories. And I do like the Hartmans. I really enjoy them. I enjoy them a lot. This isn't even a week ago. Scott calls me at, it's like 1130 central time PM. And I was in bed and if Scott, if Scott's going to call me at 1130 PM, I'm going to go get out of bed and go to the other room and, and have the conversation and talk to him. And I, I love catching up with that guy. We, I got to know him 
because of uh, we were in energy trading together. He was at SoCal Edison for many right. years, and and I was at a company called Calpine, and it would be one, two, three, four in the morning, and end up talking to him on the phone because th- that that was our shift we were on. We were we were running power plants oh. and and dispatching electricity during the, the middle of the night, but I didn't know who I'd met him out in the desert multiple times at races. It wasn't until pirate four by four big naked burly guy big naked burly guy but on chit chat they'd have the friday night or saturday night losers club like who's who's the losers that are up and big burly naked guy puts up the a that he was up uh dispatching power plants or something interesting so i pm him or dm whatever the it was a pm right on pirate so i pm private messaging message and i'm like hey what do you do i'm I'm, I'm run California power as well, but I'm, uh, I'm at Calpine in Houston and he just, next thing you know, my phone rings. Hey man, are you serious? <laughs> like we've been talking to each other, uh, but we didn't know that we were, we didn't know that, you know, the guy on pirate was the guy on the other end of the phone line that you're buying and selling electricity with. Uh, it was so, I mean, that happened in seven, oh eight, somewhere in there. And, uh, yeah, been, been been close to the Hartman's ever since I they're just good people. And now it's cool to see what Scott's doing for ultra four and working over there in his next chapter of life. But so you, you've won KOH this year. How good did it feel? You know, you won twice before, but this is six years later, seven years later, something like right. Your last time was what? 15. So yeah, you're yeah. Six, six times, six years go by. How'd that feel to back it up that you still have it? It feels great. You know, year after year, we're always a threat. Anybody that, you know, that meme that popped up that said, and Randy Slauson's relevant again, you know, I feel like I'm always relevant at King of the Hammers. I'm always there to win. I'm always going fast. I'm always, you know, I can't tell you how many years I've led, you know, at one point or another. And then we've had, you know, so little problems that have taken us out of the game. but. And I feel like I'm the in the contention in the discussion. Yeah. And you know, I, I build a good car. I drive a great race. You know, I know the place like the back of my hand still, uh, I rock crawl. I have more seat time than anybody else. I guarantee it. There, there's nobody in ultra four that gets as much seat time that, as I do. I'm bouncing around and, you know, in the backwoods in Nevada here and, um, had tons and tons of seat time in California to the point where I was just tired of, of my, surroundings you know i there was no more adventure to be had because i knew what was around every corner you know thousands thousands of miles on the dirt bike and razoring and you know now up here it's still the dirt bike and i've got this little beater red tacoma that i've put twenty thousand miles on mostly dirt and then you know always have the race car or a side-by-side or a whatever i'm always out playing well, you brought up something that I wanted to ask you about, and it, I, it didn't occur to me to re-ask you about this, but a handful of years ago, three, four, five, I don't, I don't remember what year it was. You entered the rock bouncer event at KOH and you, you put on a clinic. Yeah. Not only did I win second and third were bomber cars, Cody Wagner and Ben Napier rounded out the podium in 2014, uh, backdoor shootout. Yeah, that that was eye opening. It, it, it was that long ago. It was at fourteen. I don't know. It, se- it, it seems like a it seems like a time long flies. time ago. Yeah, it does. Man, okay. So, did we cover everything that you wanted to cover? Did we get everything off your chest that you wanted to to talk about? I think we we went through. We definitely went through your your chassis program. 
is I love it. The bomber in a box is by far one of the coolest things for our sport allows the guy in the shop that doesn't that can, that can weld the ability to, to, to build his own. It's such a sweet deal. I can tack one up in a day and a half, you know, a full chassis in a day and a half. And for what I would call a, a pro fabricator, it'd take two guys, you know, probably a week and a half bending and notching by hand, you know, the old school method. And it allows uh, the garage warrior to build a car um, without a notch or a bender. You know, you don't need bend tech or some kind of and you know works. program. You can just put it together and put your junkyard one tons and your, you know, whatever it is, whatever your flavor is, you can put it all together and have a race proven rig. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So top three songs oh, man. that define you right now in this slice in time, 2021. Come on. Oh, I'm so bad at that. We listen to Pandora nonstop and we've got quite the genre mix that we run. You know, most of it's outlaw country type stuff, a little bit of ACDC, some, some, some tractor rap. What's what, whoa, 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 whoa. what's tractor rap? <laughs> I've never heard uh, this phrase before. What, what, what's you've really never heard the, the country rap. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that that's tractor rap. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Was it like Colt Swindell or no Colt Ford? Sorry. Colt Ford. Colt Ford. Yeah. What's uh, somebody church? Oh, Eric church. Uh, he's, no, he's not really not that church. Oh. There's another one. Anyway, I'm terrible. A little bit of, you know, Eminem never hurt anybody. Now we got some of the, the throwback, the eighties rap stuff going on. So you, you really never know what's going to come across the radio. So, so you're, you're on all spectrums. Okay. So it's, it's race day, 2022 King of the hammers. You're lined up for the 4,400 race. You intend to back to back it, you know, a la Jason Shearer, 1819. And, uh, you, you've got your go-to music to get you pumped up at the line. It's 7. AM. What are we cranking? Oh man. I'm just going to say back in black. Okay. So like ACDC. ACDC. Okay. Get you going. Okay. Ah, hey, I just put you on the spot. See, see, see where your head's at. That you like kind of everything. If you busted out some Beethoven, I would have been like, oh, wow, I didn't know we were going to go yeah, there. But I really can't do the classical. Yeah, not into. I, I'm okay. I, I like ACDC. I, Back in Black is great. Great for me. Metallica. Any of those uh, in there could absolutely, uh, absolutely ramp you up and amp you up. Well, awesome. So, uh, that's the game plan, right? You're going to between now and, uh, the, the, the summer, you're going to hit, uh, any other ultra four events between now and February. I'm shooting towards getting that 44, 48 car, excuse me, a little more dialed in and going out and playing at Sturgis. I've never been to, to Sturgis week. for the bike week. Right. Uh, it sounds like a crazy good time. It seems like the people watching would be pretty off the hook. Uh, so I'd like to get out there and, use the the race as an excuse to go people watch mostly right and then you know the west coast series really didn't turn out to be very west coast so that's probably the only one that's really on my radar my brother's going to be racing in montana that's where he lives the uh oh shoot i'm drawing on a blank again what's the name of the one that's coming up next month in montana i don't know what they call it yeah it's the north series and i know there's a lot of uh there's a lot of interesting discussion around the points for that and the right. way points are calculated because 
if there's only Cut if there's five cars and you get fifth place, you actually you're gonna have you know infinitely more. You could D, DNF even at Montana and get more points than seventh place finisher at KOH, and that could then in turn put you in a national points title contention by just racing against uh you know four or five other cars. But now that said, the four or five other cars are pretty legit, you know, uh, you know, Jason and Bailey chasing the points anyway. Yeah. Jason, Jason Shear Bailey with, with rock royalty and then, um, fun havers, both, both fun havers, Lauren Healy and Von Gitten. I saw that they were going to be there. And then there was a couple, uh, others not trying to offend anyone by not calling your name. I just don't remember what all the list was, but I was like, wow, that's only a few on there. But you know, if you look, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that the North series counted for points this year and that those points were towards the national championship. I, I I think the guys that did catch that, like obviously Lauren and Vaughn, I mean, they were doing their homework to be in contention and look at that opportunity and plan to go to Montana, which is good, right? That's, that's how you build up car counts at these venues that aren't the standard venue every year, right? You, you move the shell game around to move where people go to. Right. I think given Ultra Four the benefit of the doubt this year, they're having hard times with venues and you know, they're they're having to kind of dig deep to find places that we can race. For instance, the Mexico race wasn't the the track that they really wanted to put together for us, but Mexico told them, Nope, you can't race here and they said, Well, what do we gotta do to make it happen? And they basically used the track and the from two years the ago, environmental study impact study, blah blah blah, from two years ago to make that happen. So I appreciate the Dave's tenacity and his his ability to overcome at any cost. You know, the fact that King of the Hammers happened this year was a small miracle. So I really appreciate how hard he's pushed to to make it happen this year, and and hopefully in the future we can have some some more cool events and cool places. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think what ultra four pulled off in 2020 was something else, uh, with, with some of the stuff they did there, even pulling off, you know, a nationals in Oklahoma, and we're going to be back there nationals this year, but yeah, KOH happening this year was something else. And the fact that you were the guy that walked away with the scepter at the end, it's pretty cool in its own right from you. Right. I had a few different people call me up as soon as Dave released the track information, the the course, and said, you better be on your A game, buddy. This is yours to lose. And uh, kind of a a chilling little deal. So I was at the finish line congratulating Chase Cabrera. He just won the EMC in his 48 car that I built last year. And Jason's rolling through contingency in his, in his Bronco. He looks over at me and he waves me over and he goes, you're going to win it tomorrow. And it was just like, a chill, you know, runs down your spine, you get goosebumps and you're like, wow, you know, Jason's one of those guys that I really look up to and he's got his shit together. And for him to, to predict that I was going to win, it was pretty cool. Yeah. He had, uh, just a couple bad breaks. I mean, but yeah, it, the, the discussion before the rate, before the green flag was, this was a solid axle year with all the up rocks and you prevailed, right? You continued to, uh, to do what Randy Slauson does. You just, you just keep going and you don't quit. Just like the cutting the leather off your seatbelt to, uh, to make a gasket. There's no quitting you. It's like this, uh, this interview itself right now, 
we spent greater than the amount of time of the interview working on just the technical difficulties of getting it to the point. There was no quitting you. I was like, Hey, we can punt till next week. You know, at, at like that was at, at over an hour into us fighting technical difficulties. I'm like, you know, there's just not, it's, it just wasn't meant to be. And I'm okay with that. And you're like, no, man, I'm good to go. Let's go. We've got tonight. Let's, let's do this. Let's get this done. Why we're doing all right, man. I'm, I'm here for you. Well, well, Randy, I am very elated that you, uh, you, you agreed to let me interview you and, uh, carry your story on the talent tank. Um, like I said, I've known you for 12, 13 years and I find you to be a very approachable, fascinating guy. And I'm glad we were able to show your uh, show that side of you because I've heard the other side. I've heard the other side of the coin where people find you not approachable. And I think it's uh, just as, as I've joked with people uh, when they brought you up, like, no, he just has really good uh, RBF. You know, the resting bitch face. You just have this very good RBF. And like he's that, if that's the look he's giving you, he's actually smiling. That's that's Randy's <laughs> smile. <laughs> this is totally true. I. I have the resting bitch face really bad. I'll see pictures of myself or I have just a really innate bad something. I don't know what you want to call it. Ability to portray exactly what I'm thinking on my face. And I don't mean to, it just happens when I'm, when I'm perplexed at something, I just look really pissed off and I don't, I'm not, but I look pissed off and people assume that I'm pissed off or that I think you're a fucking idiot. And it's not the case. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, man, th- I, again, I, I buy your friendship. Congratulations on uh, on on your third King of the Hammers. Uh, so you've got, you know, a year with the scepter. And uh, thank you for the last couple hours talking, sharing your story. I look forward to cheering, cheering you on in Sturgis. The track Goodby's building out there is pretty awesome. And then uh, I look forward to catching up with you in February out in Johnson Valley um, in your backyard. Man, Randy, thank you for coming on the Talent Tank. Sweet. It was a, a pleasure, Wyatt. I always enjoy talking with you and I appreciate the, the opportunity. Like I told you when we were talking about doing this, my new favorite pastime when I'm traveling, chasing parts or going to races or whatever is is listening to the, the Talent Tank and the Wheeling Wine and Whiskey and you know similar podcasts, finding out what people are up to and what brought us to the places we are now. And so it was cool to be able to share a little bit of that with you guys. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Oh, I did. All right. On that note, we're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into the Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at the Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.